holy, holy is what we're looking at. Will you come to one of my favorite passages with me? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. While we're turning to that, this is written by Paul, who at the very end of today's passages, we will be introduced to him as Saul, and he is a card-carrying Christian killer. But he doesn't stay that way. Because God changes things and does all kinds of amazing things. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, there's these arguments going on in the church. And some are like, oh, Peter was like right there with Jesus, and we just listened to him. And then there's Apollos, and he's more like us. He's this kind of Greek Christian Jew who's really, really amazing. And then other people are just saying, Paul's it for me. And they're picking their teachers and who they follow. This is what Paul says to them. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. And he gives the growth in various ways. Church, this morning I want to talk to you about something that can be just misconstrued as me trying to be funny, and it's not at all. It's actually life lessons over and over again learned. So speaking of growth, and God makes the growth, and we have the seed to plant because he gives it to us, and the water, he uses a lot of things to help things grow. The thing that's been most surprising, most challenging in my life is that he uses fertilizer. <laughs> Go ahead, get it. It's because you're about to see something that's going to totally make you laugh. And I'm not just trying to make you laugh, I'm trying to help make a point. Fertilizer is literally manure. Go ahead, we'll show them. <laughs> Listen to me, as joking as this is, that, do you know that the Pumoji, that little thing right there, is one of the most popular emojis? And why in the world would there be something smiling? Because God actually uses what's stinky and nasty to make things grow. Tell me I'm wrong. This may be wrong, and I probably lost three of you, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sad. But it's not just a stinky pile. We better move on. I, I'm getting distracted now. That is really good. Bethany, well done, by the way. It's not just a stinky pile. It's fertilizer. You know, so how often we have bad things happen, we even have sayings for it. And then we just look at what's stinky and nasty and complain. And it, it's worthy to be complained about. But can God do anything with it? Last week I asked how many of you have had difficult things that God has used to make you grow? And literally, we had at least 60% of us raise our hands. The other ones are like, is he going to call on me if I do, right? I don't know. I mean, but I want to bring you to an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. If you go all the way to the end, it's got Malachi, you get to Zephaniah, and you're going to see Habakkuk shortly after that. Or before that, I should say, if you're turning back like I am. In Habakkuk 1.5. 
God is saying something to Habakkuk that Habakkuk can't handle. And it takes him a while, and he complains to God about it. And I'm only going to read you this passage, but the reality is there is a lot to this. If you want a good short read, go to Habakkuk this week. It's just a really cool. There's a lot of really well-known phrases and verses from there. But he says, God says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days you would not believe if told. I'm doing something you wouldn't believe if you were told in advance. I'm doing something that looks really, really weird to you. And he goes on to complain to God because he's like, God, you're going to use the Babylonians? They're dreadful. They're nasty. They're like manure. The worst possible kind. They don't love you. They love themselves. They do some of the most unspeakable stuff. And God's like, and I'm totally going to use them. And I'm totally using them for my glory. You guys, this brings up something that I don't have a ton of time to unpack, but I'll ask. Does God sometimes use evil to accomplish his plans? Romans 8.28 says he uses all things to work together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. And there's some good teaching out there where people are like, no, 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 Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Yep. There's no greater way to destroy them than to see what he's intended for nastiness and for evil and for disgusting purposes. And God flipped the script. Anybody believe that that kind of thing happens? Did you just take communion? Because it happened there. The greatest example of evil being used for good is Jesus being murdered. And God let him do it. He paid the price for us, and this was ordained long ago. He says, look, I'm going to use all of these things, including the Babylonians, who were more wicked than Judah, who was getting punished. And he later on really punishes Babylon. Out of a, an article out of the, I mean, it's, there's a bunch of different things in here, but it's gotquestions.org, and there's an article, Does God Use Evil? He says this at the end. We may struggle with questions about God's methods, just as Habakkuk did. How God chooses to operate is up to him. How I came to the Lord as a pastor asked, a question that I could not shake, and it took me two weeks to try to shake it, and I couldn't, but he said something that I'm going to ask you today. How many of you believe in God? How many of you believe you are that God that you believe in? <laughs> sometimes, right? I appreciate the honest little, meh, sometimes. He said, if there is a God and you're not him, how come you live like you are God? Friends, we got to come to grips with the fact that we're not. And we have to submit to him even when it doesn't make sense. And is he patient? Fully. But he's not going, oh, look, if this hurts your feelings, then I won't tell you the truth. Oh, look, if you don't like this kind of grace, then I won't give it. Let me finish what he says. Sometimes God intervenes miraculously. Other times, he works behind the scenes. 
And yes, God may even allow a certain measure of freedom to evil forces in our world to bring about his design. He uses the evil that already exists. You know that he never created evil? And we're like, but he created everything. He didn't create evil. He created things with the potential for that. And they chose it, and we choose it. And God chooses to use it. So sometimes he uses these evil forces to bring about his design. And like Habakkuk, if we live life from God's perspective, we're holy, being set apart, being like him, being more about his kingdom than our own, and not judging God, because how often do we do that when bad things happen, right? God, why? What are you doing? This isn't fair. If we change our perspective and trust him, our response should be to worship the Lord, not curse him, knowing that he's in control of everything, even when we wouldn't do it like that. I must move on to Acts. We're finishing Acts 6 and 7. I'm not reading all of it. You're welcome. Although, I think you should go and read it. If you've been reading with us, we're almost at the end of Acts as a reading plan. You can find that on our app. Please look in there. There's lots of great stuff. We're going to Acts 6. We've had every day the Lord is raising people to know him and to love him. Thousands of people have come to him. They go door to door. They go house to house. They're in public settings, and they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And God's allowing all these amazing works. And so it's such a huge group, and now we enter into some problems in the church. In Acts 6, 1 through 8, we get introduced to such a problem. Here we go. Acts 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, or excuse me, Christians, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What's the problem there? Which widows? The Hebrew widows are being taken care of. But that's good. I appreciate it. No, no, no. Oh, keep answering, though. I love it. All right. Good job. Go back to the room. There's a corner for you. <laughs> like, I don't know if you remember where all this is happening, but it's right in Jerusalem. There's some racism going on. There's some challenges going on. There's a, well, we're taking care of our people. Why don't you take care of yours? Hey, we're all people. Remember, everybody had everything together and we're helping each other until they didn't? You know how often I get told and believe and actually proclaim, gosh, I wish our church was more like the first century church? Well, I guess we are. They weren't perfect. But God is. And so, verse 2. They get told there's a problem, and the 12, remember, the first original minus Judas he was gone, and then you got Matthias in there. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Hmm. I'll have to let you decide if they think serving is a bad thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. If you don't know this, and that's cool if you don't, because I had to be taught this a lot of years ago because I didn't know. All seven of those names are Greek names. They're all people who will make sure because of the Holy Spirit and because of wisdom and because of their background, because God uses it all, these Greek-speaking widows will be taken care of because Greek-speaking ministers are going to be looking for them. Lots on that. So they set before the apostles these men, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Look, I said I'll let you decide whether or not the disciples were, like, ignoring, the 12 were ignoring how important it is to do many different things. They obviously didn't think it was that unimportant because they said, pick somebody, bring them to us, and we're going to pray over them. We're going to lay hands on them. They're going to serve just like we are, but in a different way. I'll say 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Great places to read about how God loves the body, not just certain parts of it. But they had their role, and now there is people that had theirs. In verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. They had a problem. It caused friction, and that friction became traction. There was some manure, and they spread it around, and it made stuff grow. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We didn't see this before, but now we're seeing it. And then verse 8, and Stephen, remember one of those seven? Full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Wow. I love this, and I do use this as something to help you recognize Stephen was full of it. What was he full of? What did we just read? It's four different things he's full of. Holy Spirit, grace, power, wisdom. He's full of it. Are you? Good news, you can be by the grace of God. Let's go to the rest of the story. He's full of grace and power. He's doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, then some of the people, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. You guys, they had their own synagogues with their own people. I told you not too many weeks ago that Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in our culture, especially when it comes to people who have moved here from different countries. They speak different languages. They want a piece of their culture. They want to be a part of this culture, and it's a difficult place to be. And some of you have leaned into that, and you're like, look, I want to be part of this worldwide church, but sometimes it just feels good to be around people that are familiar. And these people were like, yes, but Stephen's this Jew who's now a Christian who's full of all this great stuff. And all these other synagogues are like, 
What are you doing? You're making a bad name for all of us. Bad name? But they couldn't withstand the wisdom in the spirit, it says in verse 10, with which he was speaking. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered. He was bold. He was set free from being bound by all the things they wanted to bind him with. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they lied. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council. Same council that would have seen Jesus. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. If you kept track during the Luke and just understanding Jesus and who he is and his words and his life and all that, this is very similar to what happened to him. And Jesus said this would happen, didn't he? You're blessed if you're persecuted for my name, and it's happening. They didn't have a ton of persecution. They got beat and thought that was cool because we got beat for Jesus' name. But now they're grabbing him, and they're lying about him, and they're saying, look, we've got to make stuff up if they're going to actually have any chance of killing these people. Even though Gamaliel, last week we looked at, he said, look, leave him alone. This is of God. You gotta leave them. They're like, no, nope, we're not leaving them alone. Too much is spreading. This is challenging, right? He gets arrested. He gets lied about. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel, not some demonic guy that they should kill. They couldn't get past the fact that he looked pure. And holy. And they weren't having it. We're going to go to Romans 8, 28 really quick. Keep your finger there in Acts. And whoever gets to Romans 8, 28 first, would you please stand and read it for us? Whatever translation you have it in is fine. Who's got it? Feel free. We're just having a quick little sword drill. Go for it. Good and loud like you're a teacher. <laughs> oh, wait, you are. Okay. None. Thank you, Darcy. All right. I quoted it. Darcy read it. God's showing us how this is working. All things work for the good. We don't see it at first. At first, we see manure. At first, we see difficulty. At first, we see pain. We see agony. We see loss. We see destruction. And we should grieve it. But I've learned something from my friends that are dairy farmers. If they just bemoan the fact that cows who are doing their job also do something else while they're doing it, if they just bemoan it, it's not going to do anything but make things worse. They've got to clean that up. And they spread it out. You know that people come and take manure from them. There's people that actually sell really good manure. Hey, what's your job? I sell poop. What? Yes, because it actually, when it's spread out, puts nutrients back in the soil. When there's bad, nasty things that happen, God is actually working something good. Stephen is getting messed with. We're going to see just how bad it is. Let's go back to Acts 7. 
All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We think if God loves us, then everything's going to be smooth. That's heaven. It will work for good here, but it's going to be a difficulty. Check it out. And the high priest said, are these things so, all these lies? I'm going to skip some stuff. There is so much. Please go and read it. But he's talking about Abraham's call and the fact that Abraham was a fatherless, pagan nomad that God said, look. Not fatherless. He had no children. He was a childless guy. You're going to be the father of many nations, and we're going to bless the whole world through you, and you don't have any of what I'm talking about now. And I'm having you go to a, a country that you don't even know. It's not your own. None of that looks like a recipe for success, but God, right? But God. So we'll go down to verse 8. And then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, and he circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs, 12 tribes of Israel is what that means. And the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. This is the answer that this Jewish man being questioned by Jewish people is giving. He's giving them their history. This is how God has worked always to take nastiness and flip it for good. And so the patriarchs hated their brother Joseph, and they sold him into Egypt. But God was with him, and he rescued him out of all of his afflictions, and he gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household, a guy that got sold into slavery because one of the brothers said, let's not kill him, let's make some money off of him. Sold him into slavery, and he goes into this other country, Egypt, which was the world power at the time, and he becomes this leader in a household. And then as leader of all of Egypt, now there came a famine, verse 11, throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. That sounds pretty messed up. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. He says our fathers because he's talking to his people and he's reminding them of their story. And on the second visit, so they went once, sent back. Go read Genesis 37 through 50. It's amazing. We're going through it with a group of guys on Thursday mornings, and it's been wonderful for us. So check this out. Second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. They thought their brother was dead. I mean, that is the most ultimate expression of it doesn't get much darker than this. I have so many things I want to unpack for you in this, but I just want to bring you back. Keep your hand right here or whatever it looks like on your screen. I don't know how you do it. In Acts 7, and go all the way back to Genesis 45. Joseph has seen his brothers. He's messed with them a little bit. He's actually trying to see if they've changed at all, and he finally realizes that they have. And he says, I'm your brother, Joseph. And they're like, nah. And he's like, yeah. And he explains to him, and he's crying, and he's showing him, it's me. And they're like, wait a minute. 
what? And he says this in Genesis 45.5. Now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says it again in another way in verse 8. He's like, I became daddy to Pharaoh because God said so. Friends, there's nothing you can't stop if God is doing it. God makes things work. He's the one that said, manure, that's fertilizer. No, it just stinks. No, it actually works to make things grow. You got to put it to work, though. You can't sit and stare at it and say, this sucks. This stinks. Why this? But that's really where we land lots of times. So much more. But alas, I come back to Acts 7. We skip through a number of things. He's talking about Moses now. He's talking about all kinds of things. Giving them history lessons, their own history. God is good, awesome. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay, yeah, all right, word, amen. Can I get a witness? All the things, right? They're, they're feeling it. But then in verse 44, he starts to bring them to the accusation that he was leveled with. That you are saying the temple is bad. So he says, our fathers had a tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. You would understand that as a tabernacle. The temple was now the cemented, literally, version of that temple. And he says, we, we have this according to the pattern that God had shown him. Now our fathers, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David. This is how it was. There was a tent, and that's where they worshiped, until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Hey, God, can I make you a house? But it actually was Solomon, his son, who built the house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. If I can just say really, really quickly, God does not dwell in your traditions. God does not dwell in your circumstances. He dwells in the praises of his people. He's God. He does not need us, and yet he wants us. Heaven, he says, is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And then it switches. He shifts it up. They've been praying for boldness and courage. And so he tells them the story that they would all agree with. And then they're like, oh, gosh, I guess God did say that there's no real house. And they don't, he doesn't need to have somebody do something for him. And then he says, you stiff-necked people. That's not a compliment. Uncircumcised in heart <gasps> and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. This is a speech that takes a turn. They could have actually took that as an opportunity for repentance, but we'll see. They were offended. That sounds a lot like today. We're offended about being offended. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and yet didn't keep it. They could have heard and turned to God. But verse 54 shows us that that's not what happened. Now when they heard all these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Yet again, another chance for them to turn around and go, oh, wait, wait, hold up. You see who? But they didn't believe him. So they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. Can all of you with me just really quick go like this? This is a move that many of us are very familiar with. Some of you aren't going to do it because I don't do what people tell me to do. All right, good for you. All right, so here's what's up. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear it, and they rushed together at him, not to get his autograph, not to applaud him. Boy, that was a good speech. Good job, man. Bro, you brought the truth. Thank you so much. We repent. What should we do now? Nope. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, threw rocks at him until he would die. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. But he wasn't that guy at this point. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus said something very similar in Luke 23. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. I don't have time to read Genesis 50, 20 to you, but Paul, or Joseph says this to his brothers. Look what you intended for evil. God meant for good to save many lives. In Acts 8, 1 through 4, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. You remember what Jesus said before he left where they were going to proclaim his truth? Anybody remember Acts 1.8? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. They'd been doing a whole lot in Jerusalem. And God's like, remember what I said? Let's spread the truth. Let's scatter it. Let's take what looks terrible and nasty and use it to spread the good news. Devout men buried Stephen, and they made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This was fertilizer for the truth. Fertilizer for the church. 
God takes what's nasty and difficult and painful in our lives, friends. I'm not diminishing it. I'm trying to help you redeem it. And he uses it to make his people, his church, his love, his kingdom grow. So how are you going to move towards Jesus? You know God is talking to you. I throw these things out and I mean them. I want it to help. The first step is to repent and confess, hey, you're God, I'm not. You're the only one who can make stuff grow. You're the only one who can redeem the pain, the agony of my life, my family's lives. I see what's going on in Gaza. I see what's going on in my backyard. I see what's going on in people's lives, and I don't understand, God, who you are and where you are. What are you doing? And yet I think and believe somehow that you're God and you make stuff grow out of the pain, so I repent of judging you, and I confess that you're the Lord. I believe that your own murder led to our souls being set free. So I confess you, and I want you, and I'll follow you. I don't know how it works, but I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to be around people that do. So get into the word together. Learn, trust, and obey. Believe and follow Jesus. And as you're growing, you get to help others grow. You get to help learn and teach and share. You are empowered by the most high God's spirit. There's nothing you can't do and there's nothing he can't do. So if there is something he's calling you to do, walk in it. Well, I don't see all of it. Hebrews 11, none of them actually saw the completion of it. But they believed he who said it was faithful, so they kept going. Jesus never lies, ever. He said that nobody can snatch you out of his hand. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and thank you that this is not my story, it's yours, but we get to be included in it, so God, how do we live for you? How do we not just survive but thrive? How do we come to believe that even the nasty, evil, dirty, smelly, stinky stuff of this world you can use to make your people grow? May we repent where we need to repent. May we confess where we need to confess. May we proclaim, Lord. May we be your people. Thank you that you take us right here where we're at and never leave us nor forsake us. I trust you and I believe you and I lift up my friends to you in Jesus' name. Amen.